feats of impossibility. It is therefore able to undertake all things, and it completes many things, and warts them to take effect. Where he who does not love would faint and lie down. Though weary, it is not tired. Though pressed, it is not straightened. Though alarmed, it is not confounded. But as a living flame, it forces itself upwards and securely passes through all. Love is active and sincere, courageous, patient, faithful, prudent, and manly. Love definitely takes courage. Oftentimes we see characters who are either afraid to express their true feelings or cannot even decide how they feel towards a significant other. A classic example of a female protagonist at first unable to accept her growing feelings towards a male character is Jane Eyre and Mr. Rochester in Charlotte Bronte's classic 19th century novel, Jane Eyre. If any character deserves to be loved, it is Jane Eyre. Having experienced emotional and physical abuse since she was a little girl, Charlotte Bronte's protagonist finds herself in a position of accepting love from the wealthy and mysterious Mr. Rochester. But as always in a good story, it is more complicated than a simple declaration and acceptance of love. Here is an excerpt from chapter 15 of the novel in which Jane analyzes her growing feelings towards her master. It was not till after I had withdrawn to my own chamber for the night that I steadily reviewed the tale Mr. Rochester had told me. As he had said, there was probably nothing at all extraordinary in the substance of the narrative itself. A wealthy Englishman's passion for a French dancer, and her treachery to him, were everyday matters enough, no doubt, in society. But there was something decidedly strange in the emotion which had suddenly seized him when he was in the act of expressing the present contentment of his mood, and his newly revived pleasure in the old hall and its environs. I meditated wonderingly on this incident, but gradually quitting it, as I found it for the present inexplicable, I turned to the consideration of my master's manner to myself. The confidence he had thought fit to propose in me seemed a tribute to my discretion. I regarded and accepted it as such. His deportment had now for some weeks been more uniform towards me than at the first. I never seemed in his way. He did not take fits of chilling hauteur. When he met me unexpectedly, the encounter seemed welcome. He had always a word and sometimes a smile for me. When summoned by formal invitation to his presence, I was honored by a cordiality of reception that made me feel I really possessed the power to amuse him, and that these evening conferences were sought as much for his pleasure as for my benefit. I, indeed, talked comparatively little, but I heard him talk with relish. It was his nature to be communicative. He liked to open to a mind unacquainted with the world glimpses of its scenes and ways. I do not mean its corrupt scenes and wicked ways, but such as derived their interest from the great scale on which they were acted, the strange novelty by which they were characterized. And I had a keen delight in receiving the new ideas he offered, 
in imagining the new pictures he portrayed, and following him in thought through the new regions he disclosed, never startled or troubled by one noxious illusion. The ease of his manner freed me from painful restraint. The friendly frankness, as correct as cordial, with which he treated me, drew me to him. I felt at times as if he were my relation rather than my master. Yet he was imperious sometimes still. But I did not mind that. I saw it was his way. So happy, so gratified did I become with this new interest added to life that I ceased to pine after kindred. My thin crescent destiny seemed to enlarge. The blanks of existence were filled up. My bodily health improved. I gathered flesh and strength. And was Mr. Rochester now ugly in my eyes? No, reader. Gratitude and many associations.